<laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Hey, 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 do you, do you remember the time, you remember the time when, when, when Jeremy and his cousin got caught smoking in a horse trailer? <laughs> that was pretty funny. That was pretty funny. Yeah, and, and oh, by the way, hey, do you remember, do you remember that time when Jeremy got caught taking that stuff from the convenience store? <laughs> that was really funny. That was funny. Oh, 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 and don't forget, don't forget. Remember that time that Jeremy stole the answers to the test before the test and then he ate the test? <laughs> I got called for it. <laughs> How many of you have had an experience in the last couple of days in the midst of your family, starting with sentences that say, do you remember when? And then your name is inserted. And you know that when the conversation goes, do you remember when? And then your name is inserted, that we're going to a place that you don't want to go, right? Because it's rarely a good thing, right, of wherever that story is coming from. And sometimes it can be hard because sometimes those stories are stories that you don't necessarily want to have come out. Those are things that potentially in your past you'd love to forget. However, unfortunately, the crazy cousin, the goofy uncle, or somebody always happens to come back around at the end of November, and then that story's been told 90,000 times, and you can't get away from it. Or maybe there's a story that hasn't been told yet, and you're just hoping that the, do you remember when your name, and then a new story pops up? Because that's the story you really don't want to get out. But I think maybe we all have those stories too. And sometimes, oftentimes, it's around your crazy, messed up family. So I know you're probably wondering, yes, I did smoke in a horse trailer. Yes, there was dry hay and fire and cigarettes. No, not the smartest decision of my life. Okay? My mom's in the audience. Luckily, she's aware of the story. Okay? And there are other things in our past that we'd really like not to have come out. But you know what? The same is true for Jesus. Jesus' story, which was started last week by John, has many family members and things in it that I don't know if we would put that in the story if we were writing it. And I don't know if Jesus would really want that to be in his story if he's telling the truth. However, they're part of his family. My name is Jeremy Allen, and I'm really grateful that you're here. I'm part of the teaching team here at Cacalico Community Church, and I'm just really grateful that you chose to spend part of the end of your holiday week with us. And we're going to continue on looking at the story that we brought up, which is the genealogy or the story of Jesus' family. And as we spoke about last week, there's some characters in this story that may not be the characters that we would love to see or to write or to talk about. Right? Because I'm sure that some of you are well aware that sometimes there's just people in your life and their story that you love and they always get mentioned, right? And then there's others that we want to cut out. But in this story, in the story of Jesus' family, some of those people that maybe we would cut out, God in his wisdom chose not to. Matthew in his wisdom chose not to. And last week we talked about what Matthew was himself, a tax collector, someone who would not necessarily be the one that you would entrust to the proper story. Yet 
Jesus and God decided to let Matthew bring the story. So we're going to start again in Matthew chapter 1. However, we're going to spend most of our time today in Genesis chapter 38. That is in page 32 and 33 in the Bibles, underneath of the seat back in front of you, if you want to follow along with the Bible, page 32 and 33, right in the very front. All right, so we're going to go back real fast, and in Matthew chapter 1, it starts by saying, Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers, all right? So now, I think we all know that Judah had many brothers, and some of you probably don't necessarily know, but his most famous brother is Joseph, and that is his younger brother, okay? And so I don't know about you, but oftentimes we have a family member who is the favorite or the golden child, and some of you may think, huh, that's not me, right? And others, you may be like, huh. Sit all tall, that is me. I am the golden child, right? I'm the baby of my family, but I'm not the golden child. Oftentimes, the baby and the golden child go together. However, that's not necessarily the case in our family, but I am the baby. So in this story, I can relate to being Joseph because I would be a younger brother. But in this story in Matthew, Matthew doesn't record Joseph. He records Judah. Joseph's story will run somewhat parallel or wraps around the story that we're going to talk about today in Genesis chapter 38. And Joseph's story is one of the longest stories in the Bible. It runs from the mid-30s chapters in Genesis all the way to the end, chapter 50. Real long story. You know a lot about the story of Joseph. And it's going to run parallel to this. But Joseph was one of the favored children of Jacob. And one that God had a special hand on in his, in his life and for his purpose, all right? And sometimes, if you know that, you don't necessarily feel like as an older child that it's really great that your younger sibling has been given this special authority. And guess what? Judah and his brothers didn't really like that either. However, let's dive into a little bit more about what we know about Judah. And so the next verse in chapter 1 talks about that Judah was the father of Perez and Sarah, whose mother was Tamar. All right, so that's where we start in the genealogy. So we know that Judah was the son of Jacob, and Jacob had many sons, one of which was Joseph. In here, we now know that Judah had at least two children, whose mother was Tamar. The bulk of what we know about Judah is found back in Genesis. So if you go back to Genesis in chapter 37 talks a little bit about what happened to Judah in the midst of the story of Joseph. And as I mentioned before, Joseph was the chosen one. And unfortunately, Joseph had a few dreams, if you know about this story. Joseph had a few dreams, and he decided that he was going to share those dreams with his brothers. Seems fair, seems logical. However, those dreams depicted a scenario as to where the younger brother was in charge of his older brother's. And at that time and in that society, that was frowned upon and probably didn't necessarily go over real well with Judah, Reuben, and the other boys, okay? However, that is what Joseph shared with them. And because it didn't go over real well, they didn't react well. And so Judah then responds, you know what, let's come up with a plan. And the brothers come up with a plan to get rid of Joseph. And initially, the plan is to literally kill Joseph. 
Judah had at least a little bit of enough defined wisdom that here in chapter 37, verse 26, Judah says to his brothers, hey, what will we gain if we kill our brother and we cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agree. I don't know about you, but I can hear Judah making that excuse. Like, hey, boys, 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 this plan is a great plan. But if we kill him, what are we going to gain, really? I mean, and really, after all, isn't he our brother? He's our flesh and blood. We don't really want to kill the guy, right? Let's just sell him, get rid of him, all right? All his brothers agree. So Judah and his brothers decide to sell Joseph off. Away he goes. To continue the story, though, they take his coat, they find a goat, they slaughter the goat, they take the blood, they put it all over the coat, they bring it back to Jacob, and they go, hey, Dad, sorry, we were walking back, Joseph didn't listen to us, got off the path, there was an animal, nothing we could do, Joseph is gone. So they sell their brother off, but then they they continue the lie, or continue the story, and fool Jacob dad into believing that Joseph is gone. Where we pick up chapter 38, where we continue with Judah, first verse of chapter 38 says, at that time, so shortly after this little story of Joseph being sold off, Judah decides that he's going to leave. So if you read down a little bit in the narrative, Judah leaves the, and heads to Canaan. Okay, He ends up finding a Canaan man named Shua, he has a daughter, he marries her, so he marries a Canaanite woman, he then lies with her, he has three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah, and then because he needs to, he's a good boy, he follows the law and he finds and arranges a marriage for his oldest son, Ur, who happens to be Tamar. So in this story, we learn a couple of things. We learn that Judah not only had the two sons, Perez and Sarah, but he also has three other sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. So there's got to be a backstory somewhere. But at the same time, we also learn that Judah left. He left his family, he left his clan, and he went away. Now, I don't know, I'm not Judah, I can't say, but I believe that probably after selling off his brother and perpetuating this lie that he had, that he just decided it was too much and he just needed to flee. I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I am racked with guilt and fear and shame and worry, I like to retreat and just get away from all of the reminders of all the things that I have done wrong. I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to start over. I'm out of here. And I feel like that's what Judah did. Judah said, you know what? I, just, I, I, I'm just, I need to move on. Okay? And so he decides to leave, which in those days was very much against the culture. Primarily because inside of that culture, the primary thing that they had was to preserve the bloodline. Judah's job and responsibility was to continue the bloodline of his family. He needed to continue the bloodline from Jacob, his dad, to himself, to his boys, and down on. Now, I don't think that Judah had any idea that ultimately through his bloodline would become the savior of the world. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I'm venture to say that he probably didn't. However, at the same time, 
that piece didn't necessarily matter. What mattered to Judah was he knew that he had to preserve his bloodline because if he doesn't preserve his bloodline, he loses everything. If the bloodline ends, the family line ends, all the property, all the animals, all the land, everything is gone. So Judah's number one responsibility is to make sure that that bloodline continues. So that's why he got married and had a bunch of kids, because he needed to be able to do that and pass it on to his sons. Continuing on that same thought and process, he needed to continue that bloodline beyond his own sons, so he went out and he, bought, he got and arranged a marriage for Ur, his oldest son, and he found a woman named Tamar. And we know that at some point, according to Matthew, Judah and Tamar end up having kids. So here we go. This is going to be a very interesting story, okay? As we get into verse 7, after they've been married, it's recorded that says that Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight. And so the Lord had him put to death. All right, it doesn't record what kind of guy Ur was, but it says that he was wicked. And because of that wickedness, the God said, you know what, it's just time for you to leave. I'm taking you out. I don't know what you have to do to be on the wrong side of the Lord, but in this case, Ur did that probably on a long-term, continual basis. So I don't know exactly how great of a father Judah was to Ur and what he did there. All that's recorded in relation to Ur was that he was wicked, and the Lord took him for that. But what this leaves us with is it leaves us now with Judah, two boys, and now he's got a widow, Tamar. That is his responsibility. But as part of that, it's his responsibility to also carry on his bloodline because it is most important. Verse 8 takes a very interesting turn. Judah says to his second son, Onan, hey, I want you to lie with your brother's wife, Tamar, to fulfill her her, to fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to produce offspring for your brother. Say what? All right, Dad, so you want me to take Tamar as my wife, and then you want me to fulfill my duty, I'm assuming that means a kid, produce an offspring, but that's for my brother that wicked guy we were just talking about. Okay, so this story may not flow in the context of today's societal okay, because I don't know if necessarily my brother would be willing to carry on my bloodline. I'm not sure how that would look, okay? However, Judah's saying to Onan, listen, this is your duty. You need to fulfill your duty to your brother and to your sister-in-law to produce an offspring that will be credited to Ur, your brother. Now, this concept and in this idea in these times and the time that they were living was called the Leverite Law, and it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 25. I'm not going to bring it up, but I'm going to read it to you. So in chapter 25 of Deuteronomy, verse 5, it says, If brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, Ur, his widow must not marry outside the family. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of a brother, a brother-in-law to her. 
Okay, so though this concept seems odd to us today, in that time and in that custom and under those laws, this is what needed to happen. And it was set up that way because the most important thing at that time was the bloodline. We have to preserve the bloodline. We've got to have a bloodline from Judah to an heir, to an heir, to an heir, to an heir. We've got to have a line of sons that follow all the way down. And this is the most important thing. And women of that day, like Tamar, knew that their job and their responsibility was to hopefully have the honor of giving birth to a son and to a boy, to continue the bloodline. Again, because honoring the bloodline so that the family doesn't lose all that they've been blessed with, the animals, the food, the land that they've been given by God, they must have an heir. And if they don't have an heir, it's all lost, and the story ends. The line of that family comes to a conclusion. So at that time, in order to preserve all of these inheritances, this is the most important thing. Onan has responsibility to fulfill his brother's bloodline and his own sort of in the same time. And Tamar's whole purpose at this whole thing, because she too has a duty, is to have the honor of being the mother to continue the bloodline, to save the family. However, Onan was not necessarily going to go along with this plan. Because he says, wait a minute, you want me to have an offspring, but that offspring is going to be credited to Ur, which means I'm ultimately going to get less. Why am I going to embark on this process that's going to ultimately end me with getting less? I don't know about all this right? Well, unfortunately, Onan did not fulfill his duty to Tamar, and he withheld a child from her. He did take her to be his wife. He did lie with her. However, he took things into his own hands, and he did make sure that she would not have a child. So now, Onan taking things into his own hands were deemed wicked and against what Lord wanted. And so the Lord put him to death as well. So now, if you're Judah, you've left, you've gone out to Canaan, you've gotten married, you've got boys, you've got the bloodline. The next job was to continue the process. Tamar comes along, marries Ur. Wait a minute, Ur's dead. I give Onan to Tamar. Onan dies. I've only got one shot left. I just have Sheila. And he's not really of age right now. But there sits Judah, trying to continue his bloodline, not knowing exactly how. And there sits Tamar, saying, hey, these two boys you gave me, that's great. It's not my fault. They were wicked. They did things wrong. I deserve to get your third son so that I continue to possibly have the honor to fulfill my duty to pursue an offspring and be the mother and save this family and continue the bloodline. However, Judah then decides, I just need some time to think. So he sends Tamar off to her father's house to live as a widow. So he sends her away because Sheila is not of age yet. But it is his duty and his responsibility to bring Sheila back and Tamar together when he is of age. So again, as I said before, you sit there and you have a guy named Judah who is scared. He's living in fear. He's probably living in guilt of what he had done with his other brothers and other things that are going on. He's probably got a ton of worry about, 
I have to continue this bloodline, and how's it going to be? And from his perspective, I don't know about you, but oftentimes we defend our offspring even to a fault. And if you're a dad in the room, how many of you would go down for your sons? Probably many of you. And so Judah says, wait a minute, my boys aren't the problem. Tamar's the problem. I don't know if I want to give my third son to her because if he dies, then I've got nothing. It's over. The family line is gone. We've lost it all. But then there's Tamar. Her two husbands were wicked. She didn't do anything wrong. They got killed. The Lord took them away. She's been sent away by her father-in-law. She's living with her parents, probably frustrated, upset, hurt, and just kind of going, hey, when am I going to get my chance? I have this responsibility that I have to fulfill this duty. So you sit in these two opposite ends. Because as time goes on, and as they process through what's happening, Tamar begins to realize that Judah withholds his third son, Sheila, from Tamar, which was his duty. Time passes, and Tamar realizes, hey, Sheila should have been old enough. What has happened? Judah has not brought me back, has not brought me back into his family and given me his third son so that I can fulfill my job, so that I can be honored. But Judah made a decision because he was afraid he was going to lose his other son. He's carrying guilt and despair and worry. So you've got these two people that are just struggling. One, because of their own decisions, Judah, and things that have happened. Tamar, she didn't do anything wrong, but her family member or people that she loved and cared about and trusted had provided this great injustice to her. She has a goal. The goal is to fulfill the bloodline, and she's not being given that opportunity, but not because she is at fault, not because of anything she done wrong, I know that oftentimes in different scenarios, I can relate to being Tamar, where I have a goal that I need to accomplish, and it's blocked in some capacity by someone or something. And I have been unjustly treated. I didn't do anything. But yet you're blocking me from fulfilling the purpose of my life. Well, as you continue down the story... Judah's wife ends up passing away. Years continue to pass. Judah mourns her death, takes the appropriate time to mourn her death. He then decides that he's going to make his way up to Timnah. Tamar gets word that Judah is going to work his way up to Timnah, realizes that at this point she's not being brought in, that Judah's not going to bring her back, is not going to give Sheila to her. And she decides to take things into her own hands. So Tamar decides that I'm going to get out of these widow's clothes. I'm going to dress up. I'm going to conceal myself. So she dresses like a prostitute. She puts a veil over her face. And she goes to a city gate on the path to Timna, where she knows that Judah will be passing. And her whole process is to wait for Judah. And then hopefully entice him to sleep with her because she still has the responsibility to fulfill her duty to bear a son and continue the bloodline. That is her job. So she's going to take drastic measures. 
Lo and behold, Judah's traveling, Judah's traveling up, sees a prostitute, inquires with her as to what the cost will be. They negotiate a price. Okay? Unfortunately, Judah does not have the ability to pay at that moment. So Tim, uh, Tamar says, that's fine. You need to give me something so that I know that you are going to fulfill your pledge if I'm going to engage in this act. I got to make sure that I know that I'm going to get paid. You know, he offered a goat for her. I need to make sure that I'm going to get paid what you've agreed to pay me, you know, in order to, 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 to continue on. So in verse 18, Judah says, what pledge should I give you? Tamar responds, your sealed and its cord and the staff in your hand, she answered. So he, Judah, gave them to her and he slept with her and she became pregnant by him. Okay, so now in that day and at that time, by Judah giving his seal and his cord and his staff, it was the equivalent to us to basically handing over a wallet. Driver's license with the picture, expiration date. You may not like the picture, but it's you, okay? Driver's license, credit cards, the security card on the back, passwords, security codes, the whole deal, right? Judah gives it to her all and says, okay, here you go. This is my pledge. As you hold on to this, I'm going to come back. So Judah gives her everything by which he can be identified. He holds back nothing. Judah and Tamar go about their separate ways. Time continues to pass. And then in verse 24 of chapter 38, it says, about three months later, Judah was told, Hey, your daughter-in-law of Tamar is guilty of prostitution. And as a result, she is now pregnant. Judah said, bring her out here and have her burned to death. Judah obviously has now expressed how he feels about prostitution. Okay? Because he wants his daughter-in-law burned to death. Okay? However, Judah's not processing this information 100% correctly because it had been about three months, and the messenger even said, hey, Tamar's guilty of prostitution. If Judah put two and two together and gotten four, he might have figured out, well, I was going to Timina about three months ago. <laughs> I tried to get a goat to her, but they couldn't find her. I thought I was in the clear. Verse 25 then says, as she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law that says, I am pregnant by the man who owns these. And she added, see, Judah, if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. Essentially, she plays the get-out-of-jail-free card, right? She says, I'm pregnant Oh, by the way, you can have your wallet back and your license and your credit cards that I took from you three months ago. She was able to identify what happened. And then she exposes what had been hidden and secret that Judah didn't necessarily want anyone to know. Judah was trying to hide that from everybody and hold it in the back. But it's now come to light. His secret, his decision has all come to light. And at that moment, in verse 26, he says, Judah recognized them, the staff, the cord, the seal, the staff, and he says, she is more righteous than I, 
since I would not give her my son, Sheila. At that moment, he recognizes that he had done wrong by her, that he had harmed her, that she had, he had helped keep her from being anything that she was supposed to be, and that he realized that through his decisions, he had gravely, gravely injured and harmed her and says, she is more righteous than I. Tamar is vindicated. She is honored. She has saved the family bloodline. And in Matthew, it says that Perez and Sarah will continue the bloodline of Jesus through Tamar to keep the bloodline and the family going. Tamar, though she had to take some matters into our own hands, and we can have an offline conversation about whether be hiding herself from her father-in-law is the proper way to go and getting pregnant via a prostitution was the right way. She still did it out of a motivation to fulfill her duty, to fulfill her purpose, to, de- to, de- to finalize her call. That was her motivation. This is what I need to do. And I've been harmed by you. And there are many out there today that may feel that same way. There may be people out there that you may have been harmed by someone that you love and care about. They don't know. There may be others of you that can identify with Judah, where you've been the one who's been the harmer, or that you've made horrible decisions because of guilt and fear and shame. And when we feel those things and we live in those things, we don't necessarily make the best decisions. However, as we talked about last week, when God changes you, he can change your entire story. So at this moment, Judah has an opportunity to possibly change his story. And what he does, he says, hey, yep, that's me, and she is more righteous than I. He walks away, doesn't sleep with her anymore. His two sons were born, Perez and Sarah. And I think that he moves on knowing that the secret that he had has been exposed. Now it's a question as to what he's going to do with it. Time continues to pass, okay? And we then hop in sort of into the Joseph story. And in the Joseph story, he gets sold to the Ishmaelites, ultimately ends up in Potiphar's house. There's a big parallel there where Potiphar's wife comes after him, but Joseph is honorable and doesn't sleep with her. However, he gets accused and thrown in jail. It's a lot of parallels between these two stories. And then when he's in jail, he ultimately gets the opportunity to interpret some dreams. He interprets those dreams of the Pharaoh. He gets put in charge, gets put in the second place right below the Pharaoh. He interprets these dreams that there's going to be seven great years, and there's going to be seven years of famine. And at the time that we've run through all of that, and we're sitting in the second year of the famine, Jacob's family with Judah all need food. So they all head to Egypt, okay? But Judah's come back home at this point, and as part of his brothers who go to Egypt. And there's a long back and forth between getting food, going home, then bringing the youngest brother, Benjamin. But they sit there at the cusp, talking to Joseph, but they don't necessarily know that it's Joseph. And at that time, Joseph wants to send them back for his father, but he wants to hold on to Benjamin, the youngest, youngest brother. And at that moment, when they're faced with a decision, in chapter 44 of Genesis, Judah says to Joseph, Now then, please, let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. Let the boy return with his brothers. And what Judah is saying is that 
please let my brother Benjamin go back home. I can't do this again, but let me take his place. At this moment and at this time, Judah makes the right decision and stands up for his brother, learning from his past. Because God had given an opportunity to change his story. And so then in this story, Judah, at this time, saves his other brother and says, hey, I want to stay here. Shortly after this then, Joseph is overcome, and he reveals himself to his brothers. And they all have a little bit of a happy reunion. But part of that story is Judah saying, take me instead of Benjamin. It ends in chapter 50 with Joseph at the end of his life talking to his brothers. And in verse 20 of chapter 50, he says, Guys, what you intended to harm me, God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph recognizes that there was a larger story, a larger parallel going on, that God's had a different story. And what you guys wanted to hurt me is now worked for good because of God. And so what hurt back then and was rescued through Tamar was a larger story to continue the bloodline. They didn't understand it. But through that bloodline and through the birth of Jesus Christ, we have the saving of life. Because when you let God's light into your pain, into your secrets, into your burdens, he will offer you hope in your darkness. He offered Tamar hope. Through his secrets and revealing of his secrets, he offered Judah hope to change his story. But if you just try to conceal them, you may get buried under them. I don't know if you're shackled with guilt, fear, and worry today. I don't know your story. I don't know if you can identify and by being unjustly harmed or being blocked of something that was rightfully yours, being harmed by people you love and trust. But I do know that Jesus came. He was born to take your burden. He came to fight for your life. And he came because he is the light of the world. So the question this Christmas is, will you let the light of Jesus shine in? You can listen to this song. Haven't we all
Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity that we had to come into your house. Father, we just thank you for this season where we can remember the birth of your son, the light of the world, light that was brought into darkness to be something completely and totally different. Father, and if we let Jesus' light into our life, into our pain, into our burden, into our secrets, into those places where no one else can go. Father, we give Jesus an opportunity to give us hope and to change our story. Where there is hopelessness, we have the ability to walk forward with you by our side and allow you the opportunity to heal us from pain, from hurt, from guilt, from shame, from worry, from an injustice that has been brought to us. Father, the power of your son and the hope that he brings is a free gift given to us this Christmas. Father, I don't know if there's somebody hurting today, but if they are, I just pray that they will find someone to talk to about the light that your son, Jesus, can bring. And through his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, we can be saved. And all of our secrets that have been hiding us and that we've been running from, we can be set free from if we let your light shine in. And Jesus is that light. Thank you for loving us and caring enough about us to send your son to us. It's an honor to celebrate his birthday this Christmas. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Pastor John will be in the lobby if you need somebody to talk to. I will be down here in the front. Thank you for coming. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Work is tomorrow. You're dismissed. <laughs>